Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and you're listening to Dance Season 2, an evidence-based, research-informed dance science podcast. I'm so excited to be here today with Emma Redding, Professor in Performance Science at Trinity Lab and Conservatoire of Music and Dance in London. Originally trained as a dancer, she joined the Hungarian dance company Transdance in Budapest before performing for choreographers and furthering her interest in site-specific and cross-disciplinary performance practice. She is now Head of Dance Science at Trinity Laban and leads the education, research and knowledge exchange activity within the department. Emma wrote the first ever master's degree in dance science and has since played a major role in developing dance science as a recognised field of study in higher education through her research and through her international teaching. She is a founding partner of the UK's National Institute for Dance Medicine and Science and a past president of the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. Emma retains her lecturing and studio practice in areas such as dance technique, improvisation, exercise physiology and research methods alongside her leadership and research work. She has supervised over 90 master's project dissertations and several PhD students through to completion in areas such as dancer health and well-being, physiology, talent development, creativity and dance pedagogy, as well as dance for health among other populations. She has been awarded over £1.6 million in research grants and has led several large multi-institutional projects. She was recently one of the principal investigators of a Conservatoire's UK study into musician health, funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, which led to the creation of the Healthy Conservatoire's network, and co-investigator of a creativity and imagery study in collaboration with Plymouth University and Coventry University. Emma has published over 50 papers in peer-reviewed academic journals and five book chapters. She serves on the editorial boards and review committees of several national and international research journals and funding councils, and is currently associate editor for two international academic journals. She serves on advisory and expert panels and boards and offers consultancy to other higher education institutions and professional companies. The first half of our chat today looks at early developments in dance science as a field to study and research in, and the second half looks at leading large-scale research projects. Thank you so much for your time, Emma. It was so great to chat with you. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I love recording it. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Jazzy. I always just start with a little bit about yourself. So if you could just tell me a bit about your career, how you got to where you are now and where your interest in dance science comes from. Sure. So I trained as a dancer. Um, I studied um, here at Laban, actually, it's then called Laban. I did a BA dance, uh, dance theatre at Laban. And then I performed professionally for about sort of eight, 10 years. I'm still performing a bit now, but not as much. Um, so trained as a dancer, went to Hungary, um, worked with a professional company called Transdance in Budapest. And then I ended up in Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I started to um, develop an interest really in in the body and and how the body works. I started teaching at the Academy for Performing Arts. I was teaching contemporary dance technique. And I I had lots of questions about the body, how movement is learned, how we can maybe increase our stamina um, and be better prepared for the demands of performance. I I had lots of questions, but I didn't really have any answers because I hadn't done any real studying, to be honest, in these areas. So I came back from Hong Kong and did a master's in sports science um, because dance science wasn't something you could study at higher education level. So I did a master's in sports science and I ended up doing a PhD in applied biological sciences. So I kind of went into the sciences having trained as a dancer and having developed lots of questions that I couldn't answer basically. Yeah, that's amazing. So we're going to look today, which fits really nicely then, at the early developments of dance science as a subject to study and research. Um, So what are your key research interests at the moment and in the past, I guess, within dance science? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, like teaching in the studio, just having lots of questions about about stamina, about um, the body, how, how the body works. I had questions about practice and how to teach better really and how to um, support my dancers better for my students um, and I then started becoming aware of the research that was happening at the time so this was a you know 25 years ago um, the research around injury because that's really how dance science and medicine kind of started it was about a concern for injury um, and the high prevalence of injury among the dance community so um, I then 
started looking around at the sort of you know the work that the international association for dance medicine and science was doing um which you know 30 years ago basically it, it was a group of doc interested doctors teachers researchers dancers you know physical therapists getting together and really asking the question why are so many dancers getting injured and so injury was the kind of the thing that kick-started dance science and in a way that interested me just as much as well and um and then it, yeah in terms of my I suppose my early research kind of projects and what I focused on for my PhD was fitness and dance and the extent to which dancers um you know the, the big question are fitter dancers better dancers are they less likely to be injured are they going to be better performers if they're fitter. So all these questions, um, I started to ask while I was in Hong Kong, by the way, in my studio practice, I started taking um, my students out running, we went swimming, I had quite a lot of freedom to sort of um, do some cross training in a way, alongside the technique. And, um, and then, and then, as I say, I got back and did, did my master's and, and started to try and answer those questions. So then my PhD research was was an attempt to answer those questions around fitness and dancers. So that, that was my early research interest. Um, and alongside that, when I was um, back in the UK, having then done my sports science masters, I was asked um, to develop a masters in dance science. So just this whole idea around whether dance science was a subject that you could actually study um, in a kind of at a degree level whether whether that was a worthy subject and of course there weren't really any dance science lecturers around at the time um because there weren't there wouldn't be any jobs for them because there was no degree in dance science so I had to get a bunch of um sports scientists together who actually were brilliant and knew a lot about dance and um and we got together and we literally I remember I remember being in this tiny room at the top of the old Laban building in New Cross and we spent a week essentially just um, all day every day just talking about what what dance science is and what it can be as a as a subject to study at degree level and yeah then now we know we've got other degree amazing degree programs all around the world um, many of them being taught by our fantastic graduates um, and it's it's now a subject that I would confidently say is here to stay and I wouldn't have said that at the beginning. I wasn't sure if it was a subject that, you know, would have its time and then dwindle away and then become something within sports science. But actually, I feel um, I feel confident that it's a subject that's here to stay. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've touched on it just then that it kind of started with injury. So could you talk us through a timeline? What changes have you seen? What have you seen shift in dance science since you started working in the field? Mm, yeah, lots of shifts, really. Um, yeah, started with injury, so dance medicine science back in the kind of, well, in the 80s really, and then early 90s with I Adams. Um, and I suppose at that time, it was unheard of to have anything more than a sort of physi physiotherapist, physical therapist working with a dance company. Even that was, you know, a luxury. Um, and now look, we've got nutritionists, psychologists, um, you know, you know, counselors work, working with professional dance companies, working in vocational schools. So we have a multidisciplinary team now supporting dancers and um, in, in many contexts, not enough contexts. Um, there are still lots of dancers who don't have access to highly, you know, specialized qualified practitioners to support their health and well-being. However, we, we recognize the need now for a multidisciplinary team to support dancers in their training and their performance. And, um, and that's come about because of the research, because there's been a growth of research, you know, in dance psychology, biomechanics, physiology, um, you know, looking at other areas as well around dance, you know, somatic practices and um, technical training, you know, so there's, there's, there's been, a, I think because of the research and it's still early days, but, and conferences that have, you know, uh, I remember way back when there was a conference, you know, a healthier dancer conference that Dance UK was putting on, this was um, 1990. And, um, and it was, nobody really wanted to talk about eating disorders and dance. It was almost like they didn't exist. There was a big argument between delegates in the conference actually. Um, and, you know, sort of everyone was in denial. And now, you know, there are whole days dedicated to dance psychology, eating disorders and, um, you know, energy availability research that's going on. It's amazing. So 
I think it's been really great to see how the, the, the changes in the research and the, the, the way in which now other disciplines are coming into dance science is resulting in better support, multidisciplinary teams, um, you know, in practice down on the ground for dancers. Amazing. Yeah, that leads really nicely on. So I was going to ask, what are the biggest changes that you've seen in dance practice as a result of dance science? Because I guess that's what we aspire to. We do the research so we can inform the practice. So what are the biggest changes that you've seen? Yeah, good question, because in fact, you know, I, I really enjoy doing research that has um, a real application where I can see the findings being put into practice. And I think probably most dance science people, because they come from dance, are the same as me they, they like to see change happening in the studio um, and I can give you just some examples of what's happening now I suppose um, when you think about the fact that it's it's much more accepted that dancers need more than the technique class to give them everything they need to prepare for a profession in dance and so strength and conditioning pilates yoga all the cross training and and supplementary training that dancers now recognize they need, whether that's offered by training institutions or whether they're advised to go and, you know, get fit outside of the institution in, in their lectures, you know, they're learning that the, that the, and they're becoming more aware of the need to do more than just rely on those technique classes. And technique classes themselves are changing much more. You know, we have technique teachers now that have dance science knowledge, they're adapting the way they teach. Um, and periodization is a, you know, a term that people recognize now, and we're actually looking much more systematically at the training periods across time. And we're not now starting off with a whole load of technique and choreography on day one, but we're actually, you know, many institutes, well, several institutions are now, are now um, addressing much more systematically periods of training, addressing particular components of fitness at different periods of time in relation to um, you know, how, how an athlete should develop. So, and, and in order to sort of peak at certain times, introducing tapering, regular tapering, reduction in training. So that's all been brilliant to look at that. Um, and that's been a real change in practice as well. I suppose the big thing though, would be um, the way in which now both dance teachers and dancers um, address injury and that it's not something in any way to sort of hide or not disclose. There's much more openness, I would say, about talking about your injury, about dealing with it proactively. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And maybe that's why, in fact, you know, we haven't seen a huge reduction in injury rates. If you look at the one Dancy case, you know, the Dancy case surveys that happened in the early 90s and then 10 years later, um, those, those surveys showed that there wasn't much change even though we've got all this dance science awareness raising going on and education, but you know, that might be because actually there's more disclosure now than ever before. People are much um, more able, they feel more able to talk about injuries and get them treated quickly. And then all the prevention work that's going on, as I mentioned, all the conditioning work that's going on, that's um, hopefully addressing some of the big causes of injury, which are fitness fatigue related, um, as well as there being other factors involved. Yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting thought. Um, what direction do you think dance science is taking then? What would you hope personally maybe to see in the future of dance science? I would like there to be a time in the future whereby every professional dance company feels a sense of obligation to their dancers to ensure that there is health and well-being support for them, that there's on-site or access to physiotherapy, you know, a, a psychologist at the very least, um, and that they really address that that they really address the the um, the whole dancer, the, the the dancers that they're working with. So, for example, they they give them when they give them time off to recover. That's paid work. That's you know, or the preparation before a rehearsal is paid for, um, and so. And so that recovery is part of the training, so to speak, or part of being in a company. Um, the preparation is part of it. I'd also like there to be a time when every um, dance conservatoire feels morally obliged to teach dance science. 
to every dance student. Um, it's a core, not an elective part of the curriculum. And it's as important as the artistic choreographic elements of a program. And that anyone therefore who is involved in the training of a dancer should be interested in both the art of dance and the science of dance um, in order to really support the development of those dance artist athletes. Um, and I'd love there to be a time when younger dancers, so dancers who are thinking of becoming, you know, training as a dancer, you know, I'm talking about the sort of the, the secondary aged young people who many of whom have not heard of dance science because dance science isn't a term that you recognize in the A-level syllabus, the GCSE syllabus for dance or PE. Um, so dance science needs to be a subject that, that, that those young people recognize as a, as a viable subject to study in higher education and as a viable career to be in. Um, and that would be great if that happened. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We have quite a few students who I know listen who are around that age, actually. Um, and I did an episode, I'm not sure if it'll come out before or after this one, but with some 2020 dance science grads sort of talking about how their experiences have shown them that it is a viable route of study. So hopefully that's also inspiring to students who listen. Um, for those students, maybe in their future, if they're looking to contribute to the field, what would you hope to see them doing? And what can we do as students at the moment that's valuable to support dance science? In some ways, you know, I feel like um, it's not for me to determine their careers in the sense that because dance science is evolving and growing, it's, it's expanding, it's becoming way bigger than any of us, you know, and, and, I, and, and, and graduates are doing things I wouldn't even imagine they could do. You know, they're coming up with project ideas, research ideas that I hadn't thought about. It's 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 fantastic to see that. And so that's why I'm always hesitant to even define what dance science is, because it's being defined by graduates, by students all the time. It's being redefined, reviewed. So um, and because it's 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 evolving, they are developing pathways that are new for themselves. So um, but if I was to look at, you know, what our graduates have successfully gone on to do and you know it's a good time to be in dance science if you're a student because there are there are jobs and more mm. jobs you know out there and pathways um you know they many of our graduates go on to um do further study at phd level for example if they've done a master's or a master's if they've done the bsc so they they would um want to continue studying and then become academic researchers or lecturers um and there are more and more university programs including dance science as modules, electives, and they need lecturers to teach them. So graduates become lecturers and researchers. Some of them become kind of consultants for professional dance companies, which, you know, is, is fantastic. That's what a lot of our students actually want to do. They want to go and, you know, help companies develop training, develop, um, you know, health and wellbeing um, programs for their dancers. Um, some of them, some of our dance, dance science students want to become teachers, but they want to become better informed teachers, or they might be teachers already and then they come and do dance science with us because they want to become a better informed dance teacher. So they want to go back to what they were doing, but do it in a better way, um, have more knowledge and understanding. And, um, and so some of them do that. And then, and then we've also got a group of amazing graduates who go on to become advocates of dance health, well-being. They work for advocacy organizations and, um, and, they, and they've got m multiple skills. You know, they, they deliver talks and they um, do a great job at just promoting the field. And that's, a, that's also a viable career. You know, they have full-time jobs doing this. So that's really great to see as well. Something which I always find really interesting is the balance between acknowledging that dance is an art, but we can also study it scientifically. So in my mind, maybe these are interrelated and dance as an art has science inherently within it. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? I think we spoke a little bit last time about just anecdotally about the challenges of being a science within an art. So I'm just interested what are your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I've spent probably 20 years of my life trying to fathom this, trying to work out why there is um, such reluctance in the dance art world. So my artist colleagues, my colleagues who are making work, choreographic work, why there's such a reluctance to accept anything from dance science, any, any ideas, new ways of working, 
research findings. And I'm a, to be honest, you know, I'm a little tired of this oppositional mentality that exists in conversations about science and art, this idea that you're either one or the other and that one you know, harms the other um, and that dance science is going to somehow dilute the art form or make it too safe when actually what we want to do is, is, is sort of push boundaries, develop dancers' capacity, capacities so they can do even more, not less, um, but do even more, but more safely, which is possible. Uh, it's funny, because I always use this analogy and any of my students listening to this and my graduates will go, oh, here she goes again, that Formula One racing car analogy, um, which is that, you know, in sports science, and we know there's a lot of money going into sports science, particularly Formula One and those kind of elite sports that, you know, are commercially driven. So you've got, so we think of Formula One racing, um, lots of money going into sports science, looking at the performance of the racing drivers, you know, they've all got personal trainers, they've got psychologists, you know, and they're really prepared for, for winning that race. And, um, and they're breaking new records. So they're driving faster and they're breaking new records, but they're not dying anymore. They're not, they're not, you know, even if they crash, the car is durable, strong enough. They are fit enough, healthy enough, prepared enough to actually survive. And so most of the time I'm saying, you know, that they're breaking records, they're getting even more exciting and faster, but they're not, they're not getting as harmed as they used to. Why? Because the car is, you know, strong, as I mentioned, strong, durable, it can withstand those crashes. Um, and the drivers are as fit as they possibly could be, you know, their heart rates are being monitored as they go around the track and they've got the GPS and they've got everything going on. And, and, um, and, and I'd like to see dancers see themselves as artist athletes, you know, not taking away the art, I'm saying they're artist athletes. And yet they are, um, they're as strong and as fit as they possibly could be, as psychologically prepared as they could be to withstand new records, you know, new ways of moving, much more inventive ways of moving. And, and I think that's really exciting to embrace the science and the art of dance in that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my take on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think everyone needs to hear that analogy. I, yeah, I literally love that. I'm gonna put that on the Instagram and hopefully it'll reach a lot of people. Um, but why, can I ask, why do you think people are hesitant to embrace science and dance maybe? So I've got my various theories, obviously thinking about this a lot over the years. And I wonder whether it's partly because for years, my, my colleagues who've been in the business for years and years have really been striving to, to prove dance or to show that dance is an art form in its own right. It's not a PE subject. It's not just a strand of sports, it's an art form. And you know, when you look at the changes in, in schools and the curricula and the way in which you know, dance has gone in and out of, of, of those subjects in a way. And, and so they've, they've managed to sh you know, show dance, put dance in that, in that art form category. And so therefore then anything that resembles PE coming along, whether it's anatomy, physiology, these subjects that perhaps are in the PE curriculum, there's a, bit, a big like, you know stand back actually dance is a creative art form we're not having anything to do with um with PE or sport or science so there's probably a, a reluctance because of that because of the history um yeah I think it's just that perhaps those who are teaching more creative kind of subjects choreography improvisation might see that anything that is reducing the body I think they see it as a reduction of reducing the body to muscles bones you know and sometimes to understand the way the body works and the way movement is learned you have to reduce parts of the, the human body to understand how the whole works together and maybe they feel that it's um you know putting it too much in a in a in a place that's that's going to take away somehow the uh, the, the creative elements but you can look at the science of creativity and you know we've done a huge project on that we can we can look at somatic practice and and how um or we can look at improvisation or mindfulness we can look at all these um i suppose areas that are very much honed in a creative class or an improvisation class we can look at those things from a science perspective as well it's not just we don't just look at muscle fibers in dance science even though some might think we do <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I actually hadn't thought about a lot of those things. That's really interesting. It's made me think a lot. Um, I guess there's the Formula One analogy, which I'm going to share with as many people as I can, because I think that ties that in so nicely. But what do you wish, is there anything else you wish you could share with people that might reduce that fear? I think, I think it will just naturally... I think we'll just naturally move towards a place where there'll be more acceptance, to be honest with you. I'm not, I, I don't want to be standing up kind of dictating what people should and shouldn't believe in or, or respect, or I think over time, and I've seen changes over time. I've seen colleagues who would otherwise be a bit anti-dance science now go, oh, I'd love to talk to you about a new research idea I've got. Maybe we could work on it together. And, you know, the creativity study that we did at Trinity Lab and brought together with, with Plymouth and Coventry, brought together creative practice, people, pedagogy and dance science in a beautiful, you know, interdisciplinary way. It was really fantastic to see that. So I think it's it's just evolving, it's happening. And I think the more people from dance who who study dance science then the more this kind of um i think there'll be more acceptance along the way of um of dance science as something that's here to stay that's something that's, that's here to help and that's something that 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 can um you know can inform creative practice as much as um the sort of the physiological side of dance so i think maybe you know again maybe beginning it was we did have a lot of sports scientists coming to sort of lecture and almost tell us what we don't know and there's now this point in time, I think, where sports scientists are, are learning just as much from dancers as dancers are learning from sports science. So I think now we've all got this mutual respect going on. Um, the dance science field has got much more confident as a field in its own right. We're not just looking at sports science now, but actually we've got this dance knowledge, embodied experiential knowledge as dancers who've got, who've got that practical knowledge with the science. And so we've got this new new field new group of people and um so i think it will just evolve where there'll be this greater acceptance of dance science and a, a more harmonious working relationship yeah sure so any advice to listeners then hoping to get into dance science i guess we touched on some potential career paths which would like would be great to hear i know i would have loved that in sick form um but any advice on listeners hoping to go into dance science i think anyone who has a love for dance and an interest in science um, should consider dance science as a, as a career. As I said, it's a new, still a new, relatively new field, but it's evolving, it's growing, it's not shrinking and, it, and it's here to stay. And I think um, it, it's, it's, a viable, it's a viable pathway for anyone who wants to stay practicing. You're not, you're not going to stop dancing if that's what you love doing. You may still perform teach I do I do even though I'm running a dance science department I'm still in the studio teaching dance I'm still performing a bit you know you can still do those things and in fact it's really important I think that you do keep that practice if you can because that's where the research questions come up for me anyway um, so I think it's it's so you're not choosing science or dance when you choose dance science you're choosing both you're choosing to be a dance practitioner and a, and a, a science you know researcher um as well and um yeah i i think it's i obviously think it's a great career to be in <laughs> i love what i do i would you know I, I there's no other career i'd rather be doing you know be having right now i think it's a great great field to be in i i love the fact that it's um there are so many unanswered questions and that is a bit different to sports science where you know you're almost uh scraping the barrel for new questions and um i you know, there's, there's so much that hasn't been looked at in dance science. So, and this gives our master's students, of course, um, a lot of scope to do studies that are publishable. Um, and um, and they're really, that their careers move on very quickly. So I think that's the thing about dance science as well. It's quite, you know, you can move quite quickly through it. I've got graduates who are already, you know, really great academics in the field. Um, you know, running programs, as I say, and that doesn't happen in other disciplines. It's a more, more slower career progression. 
Yeah, that's great. So moving in a little bit to looking at leading dance science research projects. So I've kind of identified two key ones, which I can link up at the titles for in the show notes so that people can go and take a look if they're interested. Um, but to start us off, could you give us that outline of the process of leading a research project, perhaps using the two identified as examples to guide us? Just a bit of an overview to start us off. Yeah, so the process is um, long. If, you, if you're doing one of these big, large research projects with, particularly if you're working with other institutions, other organizations, uh, whether they're professional organizations or other academic uh, universities, the process is long. So, so don't kid yourself that this, you know, these sorts of projects can be done in six months or a year. Most of them that I've done have taken at least a year. Um, we've done one year studies, we've done three year studies, we've done four year studies. And that's because getting all the stakeholders, all the, people with all their different expert levels of expertise and, and areas of expertise together and to talk, to conceive a new project, to come up with new research questions, new ideas, that alone takes a lot of time. And then, and then when you've honed those objectives, those questions um, that you all agree on, um, and then writing, you know, you then start writing a, an application, a funding application, which goes around the houses many times. Um, and a funding application takes probably four months to write. Um, you know, you need your literature review in there. You need a really robust design. You need a budget, which takes a long time to put together, especially if you're working with other organizations where you need to work with other finance teams. <clears throat> um, so the application itself takes a long time. And then of course, when you submit that application to a funding body, whether that's a research council or a trust foundation, um, then it could take up to six months to hear back as to whether that bid is successful. And of course, most bids are unsuccessful. So you do all that work and then you don't get the money. Um, but if you do get the money, if you do get the grant, that's fantastic news. And we've been really lucky. And, um, you know, I have to say, we've actually been awarded most of the grants we've applied for, which I think is quite unusual. And I think it's just because we we literally, I, I, I can't take the credit that it's because we've, you know, submitted amazing grant applications I think it's that we're in a field that's expanding and growing and it and it's of interest to many of these funding bodies um they see it as something a bit new you know a bit exciting so we've been really lucky and got you know 1.6 million pounds over the last kind of 10-15 years to do dance science research um and so anyway you you hear back and if you're lucky then you know that's taken about six nine months to get the funds and then and then you have to get the personnel together, of course, recruit if you've got luck, if you're lucky enough to have funded PhD students on the project, then you have to advertise and um, go through recruitment process to get them. The same with research fellows, if you've got researchers on the on the project too, you need to recruit them. And then the project starts. Um, so the better designed projects obviously go more smoothly. So you need a good design, a good um, you need to have a, you know, a realistic timeline, realistic budget and a robust design, really clear in terms of what you're doing, what you're carrying, what you're doing. And then you, you carry out your project, um, collecting data on whatever it is you're observing, you're doing, whether that's an intervention, experimental study or a descriptive observational study. And, um, and then you've, and, and, but along the way, of course, there's a lot of logistics to sort out if you're working with in the field so to speak so if you're working with schools or if you're working with um other centers you've got to work out their time tables there you know in terms of getting access to their participants um and then so there's a lot of logistical administrative work to be done a lot um keeping everybody on board is really important so getting buy-in from everyone involved is a, a massive job i wouldn't you know you can never underestimate that the sort of the politics that go with with these projects making sure that everyone feels they have buy-in, otherwise they're not going to adhere. Um, and then the whole analysis write-up also takes time. So, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, some of the smaller projects we've done even on Dance for Health work in schools, you know, they've been 12 week, 12 week dance interventions in schools um, around the country. And even a 12 week dance project that we've evaluated pre and post takes a year to actually do the entire study because you've got to do the lit review, find out what measures you're going to take, you know, get the whole thing up and running, analysis, writing up, evaluation, feedback. That's a year for a 12 week 
intervention. So the two studies that we were that, that you asked me to talk about today, Jazzy, what the first one was the larger one in a way, which was a three-year study looking at talent development and talent identification among young um, 10 to 18 year olds who were studying as part of a government funded scheme called the Center for Advanced Training, which still operates. And we worked with eight centers across the UK, um, essentially just going in and, and um, understanding what was going on in their training. Uh, we were measuring them using screening and profiling techniques. We were interviewing the teachers. And we were, we were essentially looking at the extent to which talent is something that is trainable, changeable, dynamic versus innate, static, can't do anything about it sort of thing. And, that, and that's what we were looking at across the, the three years. And then the other project was um, an extension in a way of that previous one, but it was looking very specifically at talent identification and development of talented young dancers with disabilities. That's even in one question, there's just so many valuable insights there. I could listen to that all day. Um, what motivates you or inspires you with your research? So what's your, just moving away from those key studies for a moment, what's your ethos or overall aim when researching in dance science? In terms of what motivates me and inspires me, I really like working with other people who I could learn from. So I, I see dance science as a collaborative endeavor. It's not something that really anyone does on their own unless, you know, some medics write up their case studies on their, you know, on their own. But essentially all the dance science work that I've been involved in or have taken an interest in has been collaborative. And that's because often the research question requires a range of expertise. Um, and certainly the questions I'm interested in, which are quite sort of messy and interdisciplinary, we, you know, are, having psychologists, physiologists, you know, other, other types of professionals involved, I think makes the research much more sort of rewarding. So I love working with people I can learn from um, and I like working collaboratively. I think, I think we can advance the field much more quickly if we work collaboratively. And unlike other disciplines, other fields where there's much more competition uh, you know, hiding statistics and data from, uh, and I know this is the, the case often in sports science. Um, I don't think we should ever get like that in dance science because we're, you know, we're all in it for the same reason to support and help the performance, the preparation, the health of, of dancers. And, and I think sharing data and working together is, is definitely the way forward. And I've seen that shift actually in dance science that it's become less about individual personalities and much more about collaboration and sharing and working together. Um, so I think that motivates me and inspires me. I, I just love trying to tackle questions that we don't know the answers to. So I'm curious in that sense. I love tackling questions that seem um, unmeasurable, almost, you know, those, those aspects of dance that are almost unmeasurable. And I like, um, I like, I, I like the kind of standard empirical research studies where you're really in control of what you're doing. And I, but I also like the kind of messier, mixed methodological kind of studies where um, we've got a range of means of gathering data and understanding what's going on. Um, so, yeah, and then in terms of my ethos, overall aim, I'd like to think that I, I try and at least promote this with my students and, and colleagues that whatever we do, we need to do it well. And, and um, you know, our reputation is really important and, and in science, you have to do things well. You know, I'd, I'd hate to do a study that is in any way seen to be, um, you know, fudged or, or you know, we, we have to uphold our reputation. I think we, I think I, I try and get that across, um, even if that means, you know, taking more time or, or not doing something because we don't have the resources to do it well. Um, I'd like to, you know, I, my ethos, my overall aim is to do research that has application that can make change as I mentioned before, and research that comes from practice so that the questions are coming from, in a way, the studio, the setting, the dance. Yeah, I was going to come to this a little bit later, but I think maybe it fits in quite nicely now because we've just mentioned it. What have you learned about working cross-institutionally in research? So with different disciplines, what have you learned about that? I've learned that you really need to get on with, with people in this field and you know, you really can't make enemies. Not that I do, to be honest. I think I get on with everyone and 
most people but i but i've seen in other situations where you know there's been a bit of whatever i think you just got to get on with everyone because the field is too small not to and um i i think the other thing about what else have i learned don't go over don't go um you know don't don't go over your budget <laughs> with big large projects you've got to keep an eye on that so only spend what you said you'd spend and i think then funders are happy with you finish the projects complete the projects you do what you set out to do meet those objectives get the papers published having said that i still have papers i need to publish um and i'm writing up so i think yeah watch the budget stick to the objectives complete the project do what you set out to do and the other thing is i think um it's easy once you've started a big, large project to change your mind and sort of, because as we learn more, we kind of then question what we've set out to do. And we sort of ask ourselves whether we should be doing things slightly differently. Should we change that now? Should we go and look at this instead? And you can do that to an extent. You've got to keep open-minded and adaptable and flexible to sort of make some changes. But there comes a point where if you don't just stick to what you set out to do and to kind of draw a line under all those new ideas, and go and say to yourself, actually, this is what we said we'll do. This is what we're going to do. I know it's got some limitations and we can write those up. And I know that we could have done this, but let's do this because this is what we said we'd do. And if you don't do that, if you don't draw a line under all those other new, new ideas and stick to your plan, you won't get it completed. You won't get it finished. With all the limitations that go with every project, you know, there comes a time when you just got to get on with it and do it. Yeah, for sure. I think maybe leading a large scale research project isn't necessarily something you can prepare for. Maybe it just happens and there's not a handbook as to how to do it. So what are the most valuable lessons that you've learned that you would want to share with other academics who would maybe find themselves one day leading one? Good question, because it can seem quite daunting, the idea of putting an application in for a large scale project. Um, but I think, I think just believe that you have the capacity to do so because you know, at the beginning, when I was asked to write those applications, I doubted myself, I doubted the application, I thought, gosh, is this good enough? And actually, it did have some limitations. And it, you know, it could have been better, it wasn't perfect, but it still got submitted, and we still got the money, and we still did the project. So, um, so believe in yourself, and believe that, you know, that you have the capacity to actually write a grant and get the money and do the project and manage, lead the project, lead the big team of people, and whatever. I think, um, I think a big thing, as I've mentioned before, is getting buy-in and getting people on board that need to be on board um, because otherwise you really struggle with that. So as, as much as possible, keep feeding back and communicating to all those who are involved in the project, either as participants or people who are kind of the gatekeepers in a way, have them all involved, have them actually help you in a way, define the questions from the outset. That would be fantastic because then you're doing the project that they actually want to see happening. Um, and I think just, yeah, just go for it and see, and see, and then don't get disheartened if you don't get the funds, just go to another funding body or adapt the application and go somewhere else and just keep trying. Cause those big, large projects are fantastic in the way that you, you get, you get research time, you know, you get a researcher helping you, you get a PhD student, um, and you just make a bigger difference. Yeah, sure. So I was going to ask about highlights of researching in dance science, but I think it might be interesting to look at it in relation to one of the projects that we talked about. So maybe what were the highlights of researching that you found along the way? Well, in terms of the big three year talent development project, um, the big highlights in terms of the findings were that talent and the components of talent as defined by all the many dance teachers, choreographers we spoke to prior to the project, we developed a kind of list of characteristics of talent. All those components, or most of those characteristics are actually trainable and changeable if you've got the right teacher environment, learning environment set up. Um, and that was, that was a big surprise to me. And I think it's a surprise to many people because um, you know we see at audition, often the selection panel kind of making a decision there and then as to whether they think that dancer in front of them has a, a you know, potential for, to have a career in dance or not. And, and they, make, they make judgments on physiological, physical factors that are actually, actually there's no need to make a decision about those. There's no need to 
to to talk about whether that person's flexibility is is um, good enough for um, you know to come onto the conservatoire program because actually flexibility is something that can improve with the right training or even even turnout. You know, we saw changes in turnout and we often hear these myths around turnout that you can't change your turnout. And I completely appreciate why those thoughts are there because of course you can't change skeletal structure after a certain period of time or the depth of your hip socket. But actually there's a lot you can do to enhance the stability around the hip complex, the musculature that's involved in hip lateral rotation. And that, that sort of finding that turnout can change across time, um, you know, can I hopefully help those who are auditioning to not write someone off just because they can't see at that moment in time on that day, the thing that they think all dancers need because you can't change it, you can't train it. So if they don't have it, don't, don't come into our conservatoire, don't come into our professional dance company. Hopefully it will create a more open-mindedness around what we should be looking for at audition, thanks to our three-year project. Yeah, definitely. So you touched on some of the challenges of researching earlier as maybe changing questions along the way or things like that. What other challenges have you found of researching in dance science? Well, in terms of the challenges of undertaking, you know, big, large projects, um, well, there are many. You've got your logistical challenges of ensuring that participants, you know, if you're doing a study where you need participants to turn up at certain periods of time, you know, across time, there's always dropout. Um, we saw dropout in, you know, I've seen dropout in all the studies I've been involved in. And so then you have to really make decisions around whether that, that group, of, that set of data that you have is still meaningful. It can still be used in the analysis if you've had a certain number of people drop out. Um, and so the kind of the logistical thing, the participant recruitment and then participant adherence is a, is a really big thing. Um, you know, things go wrong, technology goes wrong a lot and we have to just be prepared for that. And so, you know, you turn up in Cumbria with, you know, all your equipment to test all these dancers and then, you know, it, it goes wrong and, um, and you come away with, without data or you haven't recorded the data properly. And, you know, and we just have to, we have to act really professional when we're in those environments, obviously with our participants and not sort of cry and <laughs> run around going, it doesn't work, but, um, but act professional, give them a good time. Cause that's really important. Make sure that they have had a rewarding time and just write that day off. You know, you just haven't got that data. And that's happened to my colleagues and myself many times. Um, so there are those sorts of challenges, technology challenges, participant recruitment and adherence challenges. Um, yeah, and then just the, this kind of the usual, the managing the budget, the managing personnel, supporting, you know, you've got a team of people working with you and, you know, supporting them in terms of their development and, and all the rest as well. And then you've got to manage, of course, whether the analysis doesn't give you the kinds of results you were expecting because of course you've got your hypotheses and your, your, your expected outcomes, but in the end you might find something really surprising or you, or, or you might just not find the thing you thought you would find. And you just have to accept that as a researcher, because that's, that's life, and you write it up, knowing that maybe it's not gonna be as interesting as something to, you know, publishers might not want to, you know, publish that, because it might not, but, but they might, because actually obviously, uh, you know, non-significant finding is also a finding. So, um, but you hope for the best and you write up the limitations and you try and interpret why those findings are what they are, why you didn't find what you expected to find. And even that interpretation can be quite interesting to read about. Um, so there's that, you know, and after a three year project, you may come to that, that, that finding where you, you know, it's not what you thought. Yeah, definitely. And that advice is so valuable. I think even to small scale research projects, even thinking about my dissertation at undergrad, like that's, yeah, there's so much valuable advice in there. So thank you, Emma. Um, there's also a lot of valuable research from you out there already. So what are the key things, obviously you've got a lot of research out there, what are the key things you would hope that dancers and teachers could take away from your work? And what do you hope to see in the future of dance science research? Well, thank you. I mean, I've yeah, my, my colleagues and I have done quite a lot of research over the last 20 years and um, it's always been teamwork and I certainly wouldn't want to take 
the credit for all that work. It's I've always worked with amazing people to um, to do that work. I think fitness is a big. So I would say that hopefully, <laughs> if I've made some change or if we've made some change, it's around the way in which dance teachers look at training and the needs of dancers to prepare them properly for the demands of performance. And I hope, I'd like to think that some of our research has led to change in that area so that dancers have become more aware of the importance of conditioning, strength and conditioning, and, um, and teachers have become more aware of that. Um, I'd like to think that some of our research has changed the way we might prepare for class. So. So I'm hoping, I think dancers now warm up better than they did before. They choose certain stretching techniques over others because of some of the research we've done. Well, I mean, the, the creativity study, the talent study, I'm hoping that change has been made in terms of how we teach and use mental imagery in the classroom, in the studio, um, to develop more creative dance artists. And, and I hope that the way we audition dancers has changed as a result of our research um, as well. And just in general, just the bulk of research that I've been involved in, I hope that that, that body of research has, has supported the field in terms of it being a subject to study in higher education. So that there are resources and references now that students can use that are dance specific references and sources. Uh, they don't have to go to other domains to, um, to, to, to further their own work. They can hopefully draw upon our research. Um, so I'm hoping that body of, of research has, has helped in that sense. And I hope that it's perhaps instigated kind of initi initiated curiosity and new, new questions. I'm, I'm already seeing amazing people kind of extending some of the studies we've done. They've, they've, they've expanded them, they've questioned them and that's brilliant. So hopefully it's, you know, that we'll see lots more of that, the kind of the extension of the work. And I'm hoping, though this might be a bit far-fetched, that the body of research that I've been involved in has, has meant that I've given, you know, I hope, hope I've given opportunity to people to have a career in dance science. You know, just, we've graduated over 200, 240 dance science graduates who are now, you know, many of them are still working in some way in dance science and many of them are flourishing as amazing academics themselves. So I'd like to think that that body of work has given an opportunity for people to find a new, you know, a career path and, um, and that it's also allowed others to see dance science as a viable career if they're thinking about, you know, doing, doing a dance science masters or BSE. Yeah, that's just incredible. And this whole conversation today just makes me so excited for the future of dance science. Um, is there anything else you'd want to discuss or mention today, Emma? I'm just thankful to have had, you know, and still have the opportunity to work with amazing colleagues. I think it's the thing about dance science is you've got a whole bunch of like-minded people, people who share a passion, who share the same kind of a set of ambitions and aspirations. And that's just such um, it's such a rewarding career to be in. And I feel so privileged to have, you know, entered this type of, you know, to be in this career and to work with such fantastic people. And I just continue to learn from them and, uh, and hope to continue to do so. For sure. Thank you so much for your time today, Emma. It's been great to chat. Thanks, Jazzy. Useful resources and contact details are in the description box down below. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Psydance.